Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, January 18th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, the pros and cons of Twitter's bootstrap, learning to live with Objective-C, and new developments in LAMP programming. And I don't mean Linux. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. And how are you today? Uh, tired, but good. (laughs) How are you? Uh, we got a good six inches of snow, so I am in a good mood. Oh, wow. I love snow. We had had rain all night long and and temperatures that kept going below freezing and above freezing. Kept switching back and forth between freezing rain and regular rain, but Mm. it warmed up enough this morning that it didn't cause any problems. Yeah, that's rough. It's tough to shovel when it does that. But yeah, I was I was just in Miami. I think it was yesterday or the day before, and complaining that we hadn't had that much snow yet up north, <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. So yeah. I got to pull out my Christmas hat, which is a uh, a furry ear flap number. Nice. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> on your your furry furry cap and your flannel shirt and. Exactly, and I'm, yeah. I'm in my element. That's my element. Yeah. Lumberjack shirt with a fuzzy hat. <laughs> nice. So I'm broadcasting yeah. this morning from the torn up man town. Yes, but at least you're back in it. I am back in it. Yeah. It's not too bad, actually. I could probably. Well, I'm going to have to deal with it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say I could probably deal with this. Yeah, yeah. You don't have a choice for a while. No. So I'm in a. In the basement, the ceiling's all ripped out, with exposed lathe, and the carpet's all ripped up. It's pretty ghetto. You got that industrial look going. Yes, exactly. But that's okay. It'll be all new shortly, soon enough. So, what's going on with you guys, other than the the winter conditions? Uh, other than the winter conditions, and Richard starting a new semester. Uh, university that's about it mm. any more python programming in the future uh, uh i don't know uh, i would you know i suspect so but we kind of um kind of got lazy about it yeah over over the holiday yeah i always slack on my family python education over the holidays yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's losers. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with all the, you know, wrapping and New Year's Eve. You know, it's a lot. House catching on fire, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, they picked up our dumpster today, so we need oh, to yeah. have our driveway back. Nice. Yep. You can. That's just so you can park the car. But well, I guess you, you do you have it. Do you even have a car? Yeah. Yeah, we have one yeah. car. You just don't drive it. Yes, I drive it as little as possible. It's uh, it's actually good because um, it's a good, I think for for people up north, uh, it's a interesting advantage of having a dumpster in your driveway is that you don't have to shovel after they remove <laughs> it. So, you know, snowstorm predicted, just put a dumpster in your driveway and you'll be good to go. Yeah, there we go. Life pro tips. <laughs> Anywho. So a teensy bit of housekeeping. Uh, 
this week. First of all, it's our 40th episode. Yay! Uh, congratulations. We turned 40. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it too. <laughs> Gonna be, uh, Jesus, it must be coming up on a year. I think we've only, we've only taken one week off, right? Yeah. For Christmas. One week and I think we started in April. Yeah, so coming up fast. Mm-hmm. 12 weeks left. We'll to do, do something, something special. Yeah, something crazy. Some kind of like wacky, uh, who knows, we'll think of something. We get the blooper reel. <laughs> oh, man. That would be funny. And it would be, the, be a lot of editing. Yeah, it would be, oh, I just have to listen to uh, 50 hours of content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's actually there's some that stand out that I could probably just go back and and find string together. That'd be funny. And the other thing is that Kelly put up the Will Work for Boston site. Yes, which yes people I, should visit, especially if they're in Boston. <laughs> yes, if you're in Boston, I would appreciate it. Yeah, you want to explain what it is? Yeah, um, we're planning planning in the in the not entirely too distant future to kind of relocate to that area and i you know i just kind of like to just to kind of get my foot in the door with some companies there and start meeting meeting and forming some connections with companies and people in the area and that sort of thing and and i've I've met and worked with a few and i have several friends up there and so just kind of just kind of a way for me to sort of start networking a little more with um with companies and, and developers in the area. Excellent. Yeah, so if you're in the Boston area, check out willworkforboston.com. It's sort of an open letter to the uh, developer hiring community in the area. So great. And if you, and you know, and share it, if you know people, if you're not in Boston, but you know people who are, please let them yeah. know. <coughs> so this week... Well, it's more than just this week, but you have been working on a big bootstrap project. Yes, yes, for, for much more than this week. Yes, and it's it's one of those classic 90% done, 90% to go type of things. Yeah. Uh, but the cool thing about that is uh, when that happens, it really means that you're learning things, <laughs> finding out lots of little intricacies and dealing with little maybe not bugs, but rendering issues or whatever. And, yeah. uh, and I know that you've had a lot of sort of like what's good about bootstrap, what's bad about bootstrap. And probably the dear listener would be, would benefit from hearing your experience. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of, a, a lot of little, little things back and forth. And, um, you know, I will say that getting, getting to that first 90%, <laughs> um, with bootstrap was super easy mm-hmm. and I was able to get, you know, get the, get the basic, get the basic site up and, and get the layout up and, and going pretty quickly with it. But, uh, then we got down to some, some of the finer, more specific little customizations and, and, um, kind of extending some of what was there mm-hmm. a little more and it got to be just super tedious Right. And and at times I was kind of at times I felt I was kind of working against um, Bootstrap. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like the classic trade off when you use. I don't know if it's fair to call it a framework, but it kind of is. 
And yeah, I, it, I, I guess that's probably the closest name for it. Mm, it's like a combination of things. Yeah. But, uh, I, I mean, my experience with it is has been limited to literally, like, I just want to put up a, a landing page. I am not a great designer. I don't have time to futz around with it. So I'm just going to use Bootstrap because it looks way better out of the box than anything I'm going to be able to come up with, you know, in, in a weekend. So, yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's great for that. And that's kind of, it, you know, but when you go to, to do stuff, that's not, uh, baked into it out of the box. It's, it's, it sounds like it can be, it's not real friendly for that. Yeah, there were there were a few specific issues that we had, but yeah, I tend to agree for for things like, oh, you're you're doing a project that needs a simple landing page, or maybe you're you're building an app that need and you need to lay out a backend interface for it, where, you know, it's not a not a public facing thing. You don't have to match some particular brand or things like that. You just need to build a nice clean interface. Mm, great example. I, yeah, and you know for things like that, it's it's great, mm-hmm. and f- for. You know, for for a basic, I, you know, I I feel like it's not fair to just say don't use it if you're if you're doing more custom work because there are a lot of, of good and useful tools there. But I, you know, like be prepared. You know, you can't just like throw up Bootstrap and and slap on a few different, you know, like rearrange a few styles and and have it work. Mm-hmm. There's there's going to be going to run into issues right and do you think that any of them would be if you know if you're going to do it again was it just a question of learning curve or if you were going to do it again you wouldn't use bootstrap in this particular instance uh if i was going to do it again i would um actually i would stick with bootstrap for for the css and for all the layout Mm -hmm. that actually worked out uh quite well um, where I ran into problems with was using and extending some of uh, some Bootstrap's built-in um, JavaScript functionality. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think I would I think I would probably you know, forego some of some of the JavaScript components that I used this time. Gotcha. And does the it's it was my experience when I played with it that that well occurred to me or it looked like there could be a lot of things that are kind of dependent like the styling might be dependent on some javascript is that is there a way to kind of package it up you know because i think there's like a the theme roller type of thing for it where you can say i want this and i don't want that yeah is it, it will the styles like can you can you get a version of bootstrap that's completely javascript free that still works uh, I don't know if you can get one that's completely JavaScript free. I haven't looked into it, but you can leave out a lot of the JavaScript components. Right, like widgets and stuff. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the widgets. And actually, the the biggest problem that the one I had the biggest problem with was the carousel. Yeah, the site has a lot of carousels on it. Yeah, and I I would love to like link to it. Hopefully, it'll be live by the time this podcast goes up and we can link to it in the show notes, but still yeah, if it's not, we'll do it next week. Yeah. Still 90% to go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> so, I mean, it looks great. It's like such a huge upgrade. So yeah, thank I, you. I can't wait to, I can't wait to, you know, for people to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting excited about it too. And it's, 
it's probably one of probably one of the best domain names on the internet. Yeah. Seriously. It's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, like I feel like if the company ever wanted to stop doing business, they could just sell their domain name for a billion dollars and everyone retire. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to being able to publish that. Uh, was there anything else about Bootstrap that that's worth bringing up? The the other the other thing that's sort of, I think I probably it's probably not fair for me to bring this up because it's it was sort of like my first impression and I just can't get away from it. But mm-hmm. it was um, definitely not super mobile friendly uh, in terms of like like you know just like automatically looking good on phones, which really took me by surprise. Uh, yeah, that's that's another thing too. I did have to do a lot of a lot of work on the mobile versions of the site. You know, it's a responsive site, and getting getting some of the mobile stuff to work was pretty involved. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's it's not. I mean, it has a responsive grid now. I don't know if it had one initially. It might not have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the the initial version of Bootstrap, but um, there there is a responsive grid system with it, mm-hmm. um, which. That in itself works works pretty well, but it's it's definitely not a mobile first response grid system. You know, everything is based on all the media queries are based on max widths and and things like that. Whereas, you know, I personally I would start mobile first and and just go the opposite way with it. Yeah, exactly. It that just goes to show you that they started desktop and worked their way yeah. back. Yeah, and there's there's no. Like like well, they've got all of this JavaScript, but there's no no native support in that JavaScript for any type of, of touch events. So I had to add in um, um, libraries for for listening to touch and responding to touch events. Yeah, I noticed you had uh, swipe left and right on the carousels on mm-hmm. touch devices. Is that did you? I think you used jQuery Mobile, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I used a I used a custom jQuery mobile build actually all it has in it is just the touch events mm, interesting and you had looked at a couple of other ones I don't know for this project but I know you've looked at hammer and uh, I think one other one did you were those for other projects or did you yeah they were they were for other projects actually I've got a, a mobile app that I'm working on for for a client now uh, one in Boston <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I used hammer on it mm-hmm and Hammer.js is uh, it's just like very, it's one of the most lightweight um, sort of touch-aware, you know, drop-in JavaScript libraries I've seen. It's one of the few that I would actually consider using because it's small. It's that perfect combination of, you know, relatively compact but also fairly feature-rich. So, and, and plus yeah, this site yeah. is totally hilarious. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I, I've, I've been really liking Hammer.js, and I've just, um, the other project, I just dropped in Hammer and then created some, some custom bindings for it in, uh, for Knockout.js that use Hammer. Mm. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, we were chatting about Knockout.js. I don't know if, I, I don't know if we have enough. Is it too soon to talk about Knockout? No, go ahead. Now, do you have do you have an I mean, do you have enough experience with it to I know I didn't mention it in the intro, but um Knockout JS is 
Well, how would you how would you characterize it? Um, Knockout JS at the JavaScript library it gives you a few things. Um, gives you uh, live data binding, which is the the big thing and the big reason I was using it. Mm-hmm. And you can also also um, bind to to event binding. And um, what it is, it's a it's a model view view model pattern, mm-hmm. <laughs> which just um, it's a, a little bit little different than than MVC. And the way the way Knockout works is that you you set all of your bindings in your HTML um, using a data bind attribute. Yeah, like and custom HTML five attribute. Yeah, yeah, and then you you specify your data bindings in there. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking about last night, for for event bindings, it gets a little iffy because it find, it kind of feels like going back to the days of on click. Yeah, everywhere. like inlining your JavaScript calls. Yeah, yeah, but using it using it for templating and data binding is it's it feels super clean. In yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, because I think it's there's something I, I can't even thinking about it after we were chatting last night. I can't really put my finger on why I think there's a difference, but there is. It's like. So it's it's one thing to so it, it's one thing to just bind dynamic data to an HTML element. Like I, I'm trying not to say static data, but it's it's a static thing that can change. It's like mutable, but it doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's not an interactive component. Right. It's, yeah. Exactly. It's not interactive. So so maybe in your in your you know post login templates. So any portions of the site where you're logged in. Your user is logged in. There'll be like a, a little widget at the top that gives them a logout button and says, "Hi, your name here." And in with knockout, you can put like data dash bind equals some path to data. And what does what does the path look like? How do you? Because uh, I've never really looked at knockout. Yeah, it's it's data data dash bind and then various different types of of data binding you can bind to text or, or uh, form input value or, hmm. uh, you know, a, a couple of ways. And then basically the, um, like, for instance, if you have a, have a, a variable called user, uh, a JSON object called user, um, yep. which you shouldn't, you should call it person instead. <laughs> <laughs> Logged in person. Yeah. 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 So person instead, you can, you can, for instance, you can bind to like person dot first name. That right. kind of thing, and so, so then whenever, whenever, elsewhere, anywhere in the user interface where the value of that changes. variable gets changed, then the interface updates automatically. Yeah, in either in anywhere else that is changed, either in the user face or or user interface or programmatically by the JavaScript mm-hmm. in in response to maybe an AJAX call or or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's. It's the first time I saw this kind of pattern was um, maybe I don't know years ago doing flex development. You could just bind a um, you know same thing. You just bind a variable to an, a, a, an interface element, and it would be like it was awesome because you could just forget about it and just update your data, yeah, and just be rest assured that it was displaying properly because you end up with this anybody that's done even 
you know, intermediate level JavaScript interface, you end up with this situation where your interface can get out of sync with the reality of what's in the database or in the data model even. Mm-hmm. And well, data model, no, that didn't make sense, but there can be a disconnect. You know, you could be showing something that's not true. Yeah. And it's, it is fairly, when you're doing client-side development, when you're doing a lot of, uh, when a lot of your logic is in the client-side, it's really, a, it's surprisingly difficult to keep all that stuff in sync. Um, before, before Ajax, it wasn't that big a deal because you were pre-rendering all of your HTML on the server side, so there's really only one place for it to be. And you do this full round trip every time something happened, but it is surprisingly difficult to uh, to keep the interface in sync with the reality of the stored data. And I, that was the that was the whole point of the boutique.js that I was writing, which was just to set up. I was trying to like come up with a way to throw events every time the uh, uh, local storage was changed, and then I would have certain user interface elements subscribe to changes, you yeah. know, kind of like pub sub. So you'd, you'd say, all right, you know, the, the login widget or the, uh, the logout widget would just listen and say, Hey, if anything ever changes in the user or per- logged in person area of local storage, then just, I just did like a dumb refresh. So like, you know, not super granular, but like just for that piece of the page, make sure you refresh that to make sure you've got like the, the latest data. Right. And it, it's, it sounds, it's a great idea. And I'm not, the, you know, I'm not the first person to have it, but there, it's really a lot harder than you'd think because you can't bind, you can't tell like a particular thing to listen for. There's no place to put the, um, the not the listener but like the it all ends up you end up delegating everything to the body and then it's like you end up refreshing the entire interface it's weird so so anyway i got to the, i got far enough into it that i was like wow i should really just use ember or knockout or angular <laughs> or one of these other ones that has already thought it through more than i did <laughs> i was like oh i'll write a couple hundred lines of code and it'll just be it'll be it'll work yeah it'll totally work it totally doesn't <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely tricky and it's definitely attractive. So that's yeah, yeah it is. It's kind of like the and next step past templating, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, it feels that way. And Knockout actually does have some templating built into it, so you can do things like iterate through lists. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you do that, your scope for nested elements is contained within within that list. So, right. so you know, it's it's nice in that regard too. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah. So for the data binding, I love it, and I've, I'm using it for the event binding on this project, just for the purposes of consistency. And and I, I don't hate it, mm-hmm. but I I completely get where you're coming from. That it feels kind of like going back to the days of of OnClick, right? But, yeah, like um, inlining. Yeah. So, so the thing about so the thing about that is. Back in the day, it wasn't just that you'd say on click and then put you know put in a function. A mm-hmm. lot of times, it was like the function was inlined right there. Yeah, like do this stuff. Yeah, and I there are, and that is really bad. Yeah, 
because it just makes it it makes it impossible to create an authoring environment that that you can get organized you know if nothing else so <laughs> i was like so i i do think that going back to that going back to that a little bit and saying well this button needs to do this function yeah, I know I can't, I can't get there. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to be like, oh, maybe it's not so bad. But the reason why I, the, the reason I don't like it, I think is mostly about refactoring because mm-hmm. if you're calling functions directly from a button that are potentially getting called from other buttons, you end up in this FileMaker Pro situation. It's exactly, this is exactly something that used to come up when I did FileMaker all the time, mm-hmm. where if you called a button, uh, in, in the early, well, in almost the entire life cycle of, of FileMaker, you had to attach directly to a script, which is essentially the same thing as a function. And it, and there was no way to tell in the interface of FileMaker Pro what buttons or what user interface elements called a given script. There's no way to do it. So you could never edit a script in a really complicated situ- uh, solution. Mm-hmm. Because you weren't sure if there were any dependencies, like like maybe the situation on uh, on this screen when somebody clicks the cancel button, what am I supposed you know like can I really call this script? You know, it's it's yeah. it got very complicated very fast. It became like a, a maintenance nightmare, and so the 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 kind of the way that you can get around that is to have all the buttons called the same script and pass in a parameter, which is in you know in FileMaker, but in 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 JavaScript, it's like all I want to know is at the top level of the document what happened. Something just happened, and then I'll make my decisions there. So mm-hmm. if the if the if the if the inline things that I was putting in my JavaScript were like um, specific to the button, so like let's say I've got like a particular button that says um, start recording. You know, and then it would be it would call the start recording button function, which would and only every single button function would only be called by exactly one button, which is you end up recreating the event model, which is like instead of that, you could just put a an ID on the button and then listen for click events or listen for whatever kind of events and have the application say, well, what just happened? Someone clicked this button. The current application state is is this. Therefore, you should go off and do that. It's a controller, you know, basically. Yeah. yeah. So I still, I can't, I just, because of the, the invisible dependencies, it's, it scares me to be inlining function calls, but I guess at least yeah. in JavaScript, you can do a project wide find and replace. So you, you could at least figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think it's, I think it's certainly a valid point. And I, I definitely do think, think knockout stands out. Like really, really stands out and shines with regards to the to the data binding and the templating, mm-hmm. and I the the event binding kind of kind of feels like an afterthought just to just to have it there. Mm-hmm. I mean, not I mean, for me from 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 a logical perspective, not not in their implementation, because I do think I do think um, they've implemented it really well. I'm just I'm I'm like you. I'm not not convinced that it. <laughs> that it necessarily needs to be in it, right? But having having used it, um, you know, I, I I don't hate it, and I'm using it on a it's a fairly small project, and yes. fairly fairly simple interface, and um, 
you know, you can you can add custom, build your own custom event bindings, like for instance. So I've been able to add um, add hammer JS bindings and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, so. for like swipe. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's all this stuff is feels like it's changing so much that it's like impossible to keep up with. Yeah. But. Yeah, and I I kind of want to take a look at Angular JS because Angular. Yeah, I I really on a pragmatic level, I really like the way Angular looks because it reminds me of Flex, which I thought was a really good. I like Flex. I thought Flex was mm-hmm. really really good. Um, but it's just it just doesn't output something useful anymore. But it it uh, it was really cool, um, you know. I and I I basically approached it from the uh, MXML angle, you know, creating the interface with markup. You can mm-hmm. also you can also write Flex with ActionScript, but I hated that. I I can't stand defining a UI with JavaScript like syntax. I think it you know sure. it it's naturally a hierarchy. So it makes sense to have yeah. a nested, you know, yeah. is that what turns you off of, of Sencha? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of friends at Sencha and I've done work for them and, and it's, this is a good segue actually, because I, I've also been doing a lot of um, objective C coding and Xcode for uh, a particular project. And we, it's like, so here's the thing, Xcode, you know, iOS development has a fairly steep learning curve for anything more than a simple application. And it's the same with Sensor Touch. The learning curve is steep, but they're both incredibly powerful. The difference is that you can completely teach yourself iOS programming from Stack Overflow and like iTunes you and there's just the resources like I, I, f- I feel like I almost didn't haven't programmed <laughs> the app to the point where it's been because it's fairly com- it's got some fairly complicated stuff with like audio you know the AV foundation stuff with video mm-hmm. and and uh, lots of different kinds of navigation you know there's navigation controllers and there's tab bar controllers and there's all sorts of ways that I'm like trying to segue programmatically and there's it's a, a big application that I intended originally to do with PhoneGap, but PhoneGap just didn't, uh, wasn't capable of creating the video interactions that we needed. So, you know, it's, it's a jillion screens with lots of weird interactions, but I can literally search like almost in plain English, like how do I, you know, programmatically create a push segue? Yeah. Bang. There's like 10 results on Stack Overflow that, give you source code and links to blogs that explain how to do it. And, you know, here's how you do it in Xcode 3. Here's how you do it in Xcode 4. Here's how you do it, you know, for <laughs> iOS 6. Here's how you do it with storyboards. Here how you, here's how you do it without storyboards. It's, like, covered, you know? Yeah. And, unfortunately, Sencha Touch does not have that. They have tons and tons of documentation, but it's there's just too many... I, I, tried to build this exact same application with Sencha touch and I gave up. It was, I was, I'm either too stupid to figure it out or it's too confusing for a human being, but <laughs> I could not build this app with Sencha touch. I gave Sen- up. Sencha touch feels very, it feels very abstracted. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly abstracted. And the yeah. other, the other 
bummer with Sencha Touch is that, you know, it's like, it's like WebKit only, ex- mm-hmm. expressly WebKit only, like not even, not even like, oh, well, it might work on Firefox. It fails. It says, no, you have to go on WebKit. Yeah. And to me, that's like uh, a major problem for a web-based framework to only work in one kind of browser is like, wow, seriously, come on, you guys. Yeah, you would you would have to package it up and 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 distribute it as, as an app. Right. It's you couldn't, so it, you couldn't just build your mobile website with Sensor Touch. Mm, exactly. Which to me is like, well, if I'm going to do that, and it's that hard to learn. Yeah. Might as well do Objective C. There's certainly other things to consider. You know? <laughs> so, so yeah. So I've been. So it's been interesting working with Objective C because the there's some patterns that I haven't encountered before. So we were talking about you know before we were talking about the binding pattern, the data binding pattern, and and Objective C has this sort of this delegation pattern that. Uh, is something that you have to get comfortable with where you, you know, certain, certain objects basically delegate their certain functions to like a parent object or to the controller and they aren't managed directly within the object. And I sort of get why that's cool and stuff, but it seems really, uh, I don't know. It seems kind of precious you're making more work for yourself. Yeah, I mean it's like I don't know. I the, I keep I keep reserving judgment cuz like I know that I don't like the Apple ecosystem. Like I love Apple products. They obviously make gorgeous stuff. I own tons of Apple products. I cannot stand their business model. It drives me bananas. It's obviously working out for them, but I have a chip on my shoulder about the whole thing. The, mm-hmm. the closed nature of the ecosystem, I feel like, I, I'd like to say that I feel like it's a mistake, but it's kind of tough to argue when they're like the number one most profitable company on the planet. <laughs> but it just seems so old school and short, short term, say next decade, like the, which, you know, who knows what they'll do. Maybe they'll become more open if they have to. Uh, it always, it always seemed to me like they, they would just kind of drag their feet with that stuff just enough to remain competitive so they sort of like dribble out this thing that everybody wants mm-hmm. whether it's uh you know i don't know better performing javascript engine for home screen apps or whatever it is they like they keep they sort of string you along just enough so that they're always in this sweet spot of making tons of money yeah. and they're you know public company so that makes sense but the point is that i i don't like them on principle i don't like being an apple developer in principle um, so, so I've got, so you have to bear that in mind when I'm ragging on Xcode and et cetera, but, uh, the, the syntax of objective C and the, and the, the, the way the framework is set up with the delegation pattern and stuff. It's just, I keep waiting to say like, oh, this light bulb's going to go on and I'm going to go, oh my God, this is awesome. You know? And I, and it's I like, just not, it's not just not, going, it's not happening. Like, like I'm writing a lot of objective C it's a fairly big application and you know, it's big and I'm, and yeah. I keep on waiting. It's one of, it's one of those things that should be the perfect thing for a compiled language that's strongly typed and, 
you know, and you mm-hmm. you have like good profiling tools and all that. And it's just, it hasn't hit me yet. I haven't been like, oh, wow. Yeah. This would have really, really been impossible to do another way. You know, it it's, it's just not, there's yeah. no, like the syntax, the, the function signatures, the method signatures just make me want to explode. They're so annoying. <laughs> and, and They're people, so verbose. oh man. And it's supposed, and people say, oh yeah, but it's self-documenting. And I'm like, oh yeah, this looks self-documenting to you. You can read this. If you're, you know, if some, if, you know, some of these, some of these function signatures are like, they're unsayable. Like, yeah. how, I don't know how Objective-C developers talk to each other. <laughs> so, you know, and believe me, I, you know, PHP was one of my, one of the languages that I know very well is suffers from a similar problem, but in a different way, because the language grew up so strangely over time. There's no, like, there's no consistency to their naming. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, it's, but that's like a different kind of problem. This one is uncommunicable verbally. And you're like, I, I wish I had an example in front of me that, you know, yeah, that, I wish you did too. it's like, it, there'll be like, you're writing a line of, of text that's, that is wrapping on a full screen monitor. That's like a function call. And there's like no way to break it up. There's no way to, uh, I mean, yeah. you you can break, you can put line breaks in it, but, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I guess the idea is to <laughs> be descriptive with your naming, but <laughs> yeah, but it's to the it, point where you can't read you, it. When it takes you like a minute and a half to like read your function name to someone and say, "Oh, you just call," blah, 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 blah. right. And a minute and a half later, you've said it. <laughs> right. I feel like there needs to be like paragraph returns and something. Yeah. <laughs> like, could I get, yeah. Could I get a line return in here somewhere or like a, it's, it's bananas. I'll see you, if I can. You have to come up for air at some point. Yeah. And it's just like, it's kind of like this, I think it was probably very clever and cool earlier in the framework when there weren't like a billion different frameworks mm-hmm. that needed to have unique function signatures. Let me see if I can pull one up real quick. It's like, it's brutal. And it, and the names are, well, let me just, I'll stop talking about it. And if I can, if I can find one while we're talking, I'll, yeah. but, uh, it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. And the other thing about the other thing about Xcode development is that, um, the, you know, there's this big emphasis on the storyboard, which is a relatively new thing. It used to be interface builder and make these nib or zip files mm-hmm. and you could sort of WYSIWYG an interface together. And then, you know, with the storyboard, it is really cool. You can, you can, you know, drag and drop out like, uh, screens and you can set the properties and it's almost like a prototyping tool. Um, and then you can drag from one to the other and, and select segues that, you know, if somebody clicks this button, it's going to, you know, slide over to here. And, and there's this, but the, I don't know, I feel like the emphasis on being able to, to do uh, like a WYSIWYG development makes a lot of other stuff way harder than it needs to be. Yeah. And like I was saying with the, with, with such a touch, I'm not a fan of programmatically creating an interface it's kind of like in javascript where you have to like create element 
div and then create element, paragraph and then create element, text node and then append text node to paragraph and then append paragraph to div. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's this backwards and it's really hard to read. It's really hard to, to write it in any way that's easy to understand. It's slower to write. Oh, it's, it's tedious to write when all you really want to do is just like open up a div tag, stick a paragraph in it and write some text. Mm -hmm. So, it, which is, I, I, I guess it's gotta be, it's gotta be fewer characters and it's all, it's just very much more readable. And anyway, so that is kind of what the WYSIWYG gives you in Xcode where you can drag stuff out and it's, it's automatically creating that view hierarchy for you. Which is cool, yeah. Um, but kind of like Bootstrap, it only gets you so far because pretty quickly, as soon as you want to do something that's a little bit non-standard or wouldn't make sense to build into the framework, all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I have to do this what programmatically do do? <laughs> anyway. So how do I put a button on a layout that changes to a different tab in a tab view controller? Yeah. And, yeah. and then you have to dig through all of the generated... No, there is no. So here's the thing: there's oh. no generated code. Yeah, there's nothing to like, read. Like the storyboard doesn't generate code that you can then go through. Nope, it's oh. all it's all pre-compiled. Oh. And that's why you, so so yeah exactly. So you can't go in there and be like, oh, this is what it's doing, and I'll just copy and paste that into my you know somewhere into my controller, and then change some stuff. So it it's all like, and it took me a while to like kind of get my head around that. So what you do is you subclass the view and then you can start adding stuff to it. But then you're like, well, do I add this here? Do I add it into the, into the delegate? You know, where's it? And it's like, Oh my God. I mean, thankfully Xcode as a code, as an editor is unbelievably good. I mean, it is by far the best code editor I've ever seen in terms of like, it compiles live it gives you all kinds of like as you're typing it's compiling and getting all the compiler errors and warnings and putting them right on the screen in real time the autocomplete is unbelievable the document the built-in documentation is unbelievable and you know you can you can drag from from your WYSIWYG interface you can drag from a, an element into a text document and have it create like code for like the communication between the interface and the controller. It's amazing. Mm, nice. But, but the reason it is because it has to be <laughs> because without that, you'd be screwed. I mean, you'd, it would be like such a touch. <laughs> you'd be like, <laughs> what do I do? I have no idea what to do. So, okay, here, here's a, here's a, uh, here's a, a, this is the function call to, draw an alert to the screen. So in JavaScript, if, if you wanted to say like alert and then open parens, type a string, close parens. This is, this is the actual method call. UI alert view in it with title, then you inline a string and then message and then a string and then delegate, cancel button title, other button titles. So this is, this is the, it's like, at least 70 characters to throw a dialogue that says, sorry, under construction. <laughs> so the name of the function is in it with title message, delegate, cancel button, title, other button titles show. 
<laughs> the name of the function. Yeah, that's so expressive, don't you think? Yeah. That's the name of that's the name of the function. And if it didn't so okay, fine. Like it is pretty self-documenting. I mean, you can see everything uh you need, but it's if you didn't have autocomplete, you'd be poking your like eyes out. Like you're never going to remember. Right. Everything. Right. It's it's impossible. And some of the stuff's optional, but so then you have to send nil to it because you mm-hmm. can't you can't like reorder them. There's not I, I haven't seen yet a place where there's this sort of concept, you know, a lot of times in JavaScript and jQuery modules uh plugins, a lot of times you'll create like a like the the Ajax call. You just create a JavaScript object and you pass it in. Yeah. It's kind of the same concept because you're passing in named parameters. Mm-hmm. But you can reorder them and you can leave ones out and you can't do that here. So you have to get it right, you know, and you can't omit anything. No, it's, it's terrible. Like, I don't know. I don't know how anyone likes this. I feel like they haven't used another, I'm totally going to get hate mail, but I feel like they haven't used another language if they like this. Apple script, that's self-documenting. That's expressive. That's straightforward, yeah. simple. That is amazing. Apple script's ability to use natural language as a code, as code, is pretty amazing. This is not like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe someone someone can explain to me on Twitter why I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah so. you, you get hate mail over it. Yeah. It's amazing how many things that you take for granted in web programming that you it's just like impossible to do or it's unrealistic to do uh, in this uh, environment. Uh, like yeah. like rich text, no, you're not doing, you can't do it. It's it, you cannot do it. You like you like if you had a paragraph and you wanted to bold a word in the middle of the paragraph, can't be done. So anyway, I don't mean to bash Objective C too much. I don't. I'm not a big fan of it, but the there are some major pros, which uh, is that it does allow you to do tons of things that you can't do in JavaScript at all. Like the video stuff is 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 pretty easy, uh, considering that you know you just call a couple of wicked long functions. And <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it deals with the memory, it deals with the controls and the playback, and, you know, you can, it's it's super fast and stable, it works great on the iPad and all that stuff, but, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's not a language you can learn. (laughs) You can't remember, no one's going to remember all the function names, you have to have to rely on the the autocomplete and and the tools in the editor. Right. Like, you can't just memorize how to do stuff and then just sit down and do it. Right. And it's kind of like, I, m- I remember someone said once, you know, I was first trying to learn this and it's the, it was back in the interface builder days when it was a separate application. You had to like create these views and then go over and, and do this like weird drag and drop stuff to like link them up. And of course with Apple, they, you know, have a different name for everything just to be different. And, uh, you know, so it's like you're doing this translation in your mind between like, okay, you know, what's an outlet mean in this context and what's a delegate and what's an implementation versus a interface and, and all that stuff. And then I'm like, can't I just type code? Like, why do I have to mess mm-hmm. around with interface builder? 
And the guy said to me, he's like, well, you could do that, but that's kind of like saying like, do I really have to turn this chainsaw on? It's really loud. Can't I just rub it back and forth across the tree? And, like, <laughs> and, and I, and that was so funny that I never really questioned it again, but I'm starting to think that I, I would probably like this a lot better if that's the way it worked. Yeah. Because the views, linking up the views in a WYSIWYG environment is, uh, it gets you really far, really fast, but then it just strands you uh-huh. and you have to do the other thing anyway. So I'm starting, and there've been a couple of places where I've had to go beyond what you can do in the storyboard. And I'm like, Oh, it, it's like a lot more predictable. It's a little more tedious because you have to be like create a CG rect and say, okay, create this video and put it at, you know, 20 X 20 Y and make it 460 pixels wide and 320 pixels high. And, you know, it's very like, it's like that yucky create element thing in JavaScript, but it's super predictable. And you're know, you're like, well, what do I need to, what do I need to drag and drop onto to make this connection work? <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still going to reserve judgment and hope that some light bulb comes out. I'm like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. But uh, it hasn't happened yet. Speaking of light bulbs. Speaking of light bulbs, I was wondering if you'd pick up on that segue. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of light bulbs, a new you I, you sent me the link, right? This new yes. new kind of uh, Internet of Things light bulb released. So, longtime listener will remember that two weeks ago I got a uh, uh, or short time listener will remember too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got um, for Christmas. A pack, a starter pack of the Philips Hue Wi-Fi light bulbs, LED light bulbs that I put in my basement, and you can uh, you can talk to them over a REST API and have them change color on a schedule or on demand or in reaction to some event. Uh, and they're super cool, and I you know really dig them. And then this new light bulb thing that you sent is called Bite Lights. You want to kind of describe what those light bulbs are? Yeah, they're light bulbs that they're LED light bulbs with a, um, it's a, a computer chip in them that pulsates the light at a, a very high frequency, higher you know, so you can't that's not visible to the human eye, you know, the, that you can you can't like see that the lights are flashing, mm-hmm. but what it can be picked like it can be picked up by um, a camera sensor. So you can then use your um, use your smartphone you know, to you know, say you walk into the room, you point it at the light, and the smartphone can read the the code that this this light is is pulsating and sending out, and then um, pull up associated media content. Right. So, like the pulse that it's sending out is a unique, globally unique identifier. Mm-hmm. It's a light weed. It's a light weed. <laughs> yeah. So you might ask, dear listener, why the hell would anyone care about that? And it's a, I think it's a fair question, yeah. but, but not because it's not a good idea, but because the camera that you, that needs to exist doesn't really, I mean, the camera exists, but the, the, a, a passive camera doesn't really exist in our lives at this point. 
So if you can imagine, you can certainly imagine like uh, corporate environments or like a museum or a school or something where, where as the public is coming in, they're educated about the fact that, um, that they can use a particular, you know, museum specific app or school specific app to automatically find out stuff about areas. So let's say you're in a museum and you go up to, you know, you go into like, uh, whatever the, the King Tut room, you whip out your smartphone and you've got the app on it. And the app knows you're in the room because it's receiving a specific code from the light that's in the room with you. So it's, it's really all about a location, a highly specific location sensing technology. Yeah. That's really, that's really what it is. It's like you, if you're near, if you can see this light, then you must be right here. So, uh, you know, and we've got GPS and we've got, um, you know, things like Shopkick that I think use audio in a similar fashion. And uh, uh, there's some, you can triangulate on Wi-Fi signals to get a pretty good idea of where somebody is. In a, but RFID. RFID, the, yeah. And NFC. NFC as well. I think NFC is pro, might be, yeah, no, I guess it the same thing. You know, e- even a QR code could really be used in this way. Yeah. And... The uh, yeah, actually speaking of RFID, did you hear about the Disney Parks thing? No. They're uh, they are doing this thing called I think it's called Magic Disney Magic Plus or something like that. And uh, when you get your ticket, instead of getting a ticket, you get this snap-on wristband that has an RFID chip in it that uh, doesn't have any personal information; it just has this unique code which you then associate with your profile, which is kept in the cloud, so that as you're going through the park, you just like, you know, put your wrist against the Mickey Mouse face and it charges your, your, you know, in the cloud, it charges your credit card for a Coke or whatever. Uh, and you can also use it to, you just, it, it's basically an ID card that's wrapped around your wrist, but it's RFID. Yeah. And they, they put out, and, and they put out sensors though, that, you know, you can see immediately. It's like it's like this. It's like a gold ball with a Mickey Mouse face logo light bulb thing. Mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of like one step closer to. Um, uh, it's hard to. It, it's one step more than like uh, a QR code, though, because it's just that much easier. Because it's on yeah. your wrist. It's not in your pocket. So there's like yeah, that much. Have- you don't have to pull out your phone and open up an app. Yep, there's a little bit less friction, and it, it that makes a huge difference. So now for the light bulbs, the thing with the light bulbs that's different from say you know you could in a museum scenario you could in the King Tut room you could have a QR code on the wall that they scanned to do the same thing, and you still have that same kind of like action. You have to pull out your phone, you have to open it, maybe you have to type in a passcode, then you have to launch the right app. You gotta wait for it. You gotta wait for the camera to open. You're talking like 10 seconds to, you know, where you might not even be planning to spend 10 seconds in the room, you know, so you're not going to like double the amount of time you're in there by doing all this stuff because it's like, it it seems shocking to say, but it's too much friction for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but at least with the QR code, you can see that there's something to scan with the light. You can't see that there's something that's something to scan. Yeah. You have to be told that there's something there. Right. And so, so, in commercial applications, you could maybe, I think it's, you know, you can get away with that, I suppose, but it's a little bit gimmicky 
because you could do the same exact thing maybe easier or certainly cheaper with QR codes. Yeah. On the other hand, with with the light, you have the advantage of like, well, you don't have to worry about other people getting in the way and blocking your access to the QR code and you don't, you know, you don't have to aim your camera at any specific thing because it's you know, because it can pick up ambient light. Yep, definitely. Definitely true. So, it so it is a little easier in that respect. Yep. Yeah, I suppose so. But so the thing that would that makes it would make it mind blowing though is something like Google Glasses, where you've got this always on camera. This FedEx guy's here. <laughs> you got this always on camera that is is just watching everything. Like the, it, it, I I don't I'm not positive about this, but I would be surprised if Google Glass didn't work like this. Like it's constantly recording like the last thirty seconds of everything. And, you know, throwing it away, throwing away the oldest stuff as it needs to, so that at any point in time, you'd be able to stop and say, oh, save that last 30 seconds, because something something happened that I want to save for later. Yeah. You know, and that's something you that could never happen with a cell phone, because you, you would have already missed it. You know, like, there's tons of times when Cooper will do something that's totally hilarious, but by the time I whip my phone out... It's gone. It's, done. it's too yeah. right. It's too late. It has to be happening. It has to be recording constantly. So the so the light bulb with a device like that that's constantly watching could easily pop up a, a little thing that said, you know, if it was built into the OS of the glasses to watch for stuff like this, it could immediately pop up an overlay or some kind of like icon of the light bulb or or just immediately put some data up that lets you know that you've walked into a room that has one of these lights and that would radically change the, the usefulness of it mm-hmm. because of the ambient camera. Yeah, it, it would. I feel like until that happens, it kind of just feels kind of like a, just a gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree. It's maybe useful, maybe slightly better than a QR code, but still it's relatively inexpensive and it's dead simple. You just screw the light bulb in. Yeah. That's it. So, you know, it's and, and there's no ugly QR code on the wall. That's another thing. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no QR code on the wall. There's no no sort of wireless fencing thing that needs to be set up. Yeah, and, geofencing and it. You know, that stuff works, but so much effort. Yeah. So I, I feel like the light bulbs are probably super easy to implement, but not really like reaching. Certainly not reaching their full potential just yet. Yeah. So I think that uh, I think that it'll be a huge big deal in once we have either Google Glass or there's an maybe an audio version that's like I'm imagining it looks like one of those plug-in air fresheners that mm-hmm. you just just stick in any old outlet and it broadcasts a high frequency unique code that nobody can hear but your phone can hear or your whatever your earpods can hear your earpods and your dog yeah that's I was wondering about dogs what would happen. But uh, you walk into a room and you get a little, some sort of indication that there's metadata in the room for you mm-hmm. that you'd be able to say, oh, okay, um, whatever. You know, people, people who, your friends on Facebook that were here recently or, or whatever it was and yeah. like notes they left or Yelp information about the restaurant or whatever. And all of this stuff you can do today in other ways, look with check-ins, you're basically you're saying I'm here, but it's this, the passive nature of it, I think is a huge game changer. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, once, once, once you can do all of those things without having to think about them, without having to do any work to do it, then it's it's going to become a lot. Just it's just going to become natural to do. Right. Yeah, there needs to be the the next step. I've, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. The next revolutionary, the next revolution in computing is going to be the the next posture, which will be hands free, eyes free, you know, heads up display, not heads up display, but like like not staring down at the ground or at your hand yeah. or yeah, staring just, at some screen. Just kind of kind of nat- natural passive input of or a flow of of data. Mm, exactly. So. The example that we came up with last night for we were trying to think like how would I use this in my house? Yeah. And I could imagine if you have if you've got the glasses on, if you let's just assume that Google glasses are a thing. And you're you're the glasses know who you are, you're logged into them, they're connected to your Google account and they've got access to applications and, and you know, Android apps or whatever. You can break custom programming for the glasses. And you get home and as you pull into the driveway when you see the light on the back of the garage the glasses would know that you were home you know they might know this from gps they might know it from maybe there are other ways to know it but they'll know it for sure that as soon as you you know look at that you're like okay or maybe you say if you look at the light for three seconds then that means open the garage door and so the the glasses see the light they see that you're staring at the light so they go okay um send a you know send information to the internet you know to the cloud through the application <laughs> the glasses that goes down to your automated wi-fi accessible addressable garage door, garage opener. door opener and you know so the only thing we're missing there is the automated garage door opener that's connected to the internet and the google glasses and the application that runs on the glasses <laughs> we've got the light <laughs> all we're missing is everything else all we're missing is everything else but I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of time, you know. It's like stuff's gonna start start automating. You know, the the mm-hmm. everything's gonna get smart. Everything's gonna have a chip in it. And I love to see the thing I love about the light bulb is that it's a brain dead simple solution. Yeah, which I love. I love like whenever I see something that's complicated, I'm like, that's not gonna work because it can never become cheap enough because it's too complicated. And it's too complicated. So people aren't going to adopt it. Like yeah. implementation is too hard. But to just screw in a light bulb. I mean, that's how it was with the with the, uh, with the the LED bulbs. You just screw in and plug in the base station. You didn't really have to do anything. So, but still, this one's even easier. It's just like sending out a, a beacon. Love it. I didn't buy one, though. No, I didn't either. So maybe I'm not not sure they're going to reach their funding goal. Yeah, it's well, it's they're kind of like, well, what can I do with this? Yeah, there is a the um, sort of a tangent, but the the they used were those the guys that used um, uh, that open source self start self starter. Yeah, that it's sort of open source crowdfunding Kickstarter clone um, uh, that was also used by or was created by the guys from Lockatron, which is kind of like the garage door opener piece of this puzzle. So like Lockatron is this little box that you uh, install over 
the 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 inside knob of your deadbolt. So you, it's it's this little internet connected box. You install it on your door on the inside and it connects to your Wi-Fi, connects to the internet. You can connect to it with your phone so that you can unlock you like manually unlock your door on the inside from the outside or from anywhere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So hmm. so and, and in fact, if you have an iPhone 4S or an iPhone 5, you can just walk up to your door and it will broadcast that you're there. It has some Bluetooth, it has some new Bluetooth technology. It'll just broadcast that you're there and unlock it because it knows it's you. You don't even have to like pull a phone out. Yeah. Kind of so, want one of these now. Oh, yeah. Like that one, I, they're not available. I mean, it's like they're totally sold out. But, yeah, uh, I am. Um I feel like I have to replace my deadbolt first because it's a little it's a little rough. <laughs> yeah, like our door. It's funny because our door is totally broken. The mm-hmm. yeah, after all this funny business, and I don't. I had the same thought. I'm like, I don't even know if my deadbolt works right. Like, <laughs> but this would be it. Would be this would work, you know? So if you've got yeah. if you've got the that's like one more piece of the puzzle. So you've got the light, you've got the garage door opener. I mean the the lockatron. But the Lockatron's already smart enough to... To know you're nearby. To know you're nearby. But I don't know. It's almost like the Lockatron's too smart. It should be stupider. But that, but if it was, it wouldn't work. Because the other stuff that it would need to need to tell you. Anyway. Yeah. The popularity... The, the thing... Lockatron did like a thousand percent of their funding goal. <laughs> so obviously there's a desire for this kind of thing. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's just going to keep happening. People are going to, uh, these sort of hardware startups and you the kind of maker crowd are going to create this stuff. It's going to start to be, there's going to start to be money to be made for indie developers to write software to connect these things together in ways that automate our environment and like allow things to happen in the background and sort of augment our reality, maybe with overlays, maybe with who knows what all sorts of all sorts of either tactile input or um, audio or video input or whatever it's gonna be crazy yeah, it feels feels like we're just right on the edge of it now and it's gonna take off soon yeah so yeah we should we should maybe wrap up by uh talking about that connected video you sent me oh yeah 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 i think it was called connect <clears throat> connecting the film something like that and uh, it's just called connected. Yeah. Something like that, but we can link to it. And it's a, uh, it's a video put together. I think Microsoft paid to put it together. Um, but features a bunch of pretty well-known hackers, a guy from Twitter, a guy from Photosynth, um, a couple of others uh, who I'm, I'm not familiar with. Uh, but uh, a lot of UX designers and like, it talks about the, the merge merging of meet space and cyberspace like real world and digital world is just going to blend and there's not going to be a real clear distinction between them. And, uh, the, the guy from Microsoft, the guy from Photosynth, he's a Microsoft dude, blaze. I can never, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's like Aguiar E Pascal or something. But anyways, he's like, he's, he's like the funniest one. He's like, you know, we're turning into a super organism. (laughs) You know, (laughs) And it's kind of funny to put it like that, but he has a kind of a point. He's like, we're going to look back on flash mobs and, um, 
uh, and crowdfunding and these things and, and realize that in the, the Egypt thing and all of this like group action enabled by the digital realm. And that's, it's like, those are going to be like the early indicators of the way the entire new society works. Like the entire new society is going to be like a constant flash mob. You know what I mean? It's just like the potential to, you can't even imagine what it's going to do, you know? He was like, it's like the Cambrian explosion, which I had to look up and was like a, it was like a, a cell division thing that happened in our, you know, distant past when we were like crawling out of the mud. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, damn. (laughs) Anyway, it's a fun video to watch. It's very designery. It is. It is. It's a good video. Good little video though. Yeah, definitely. So, all right, I guess that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaper. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. See you later. Bye.